Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you receive from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love, and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Before moving to Orlando several years ago, I was called to jury duty in South Florida, in Fort Lauderdale to be specific. Uh, I showed up for uh, my assigned day and time, big room full of people waiting to see if they might be called for a jury, and the very first group called out of the room uh, included me. I hardly had a chance to sit in my seat very long before I was part of a pool of prospective jurors being considered. Uh, the the trial was a, a, a woman uh, who had fallen when her power was out during a South Florida storm, who had hurt herself and had some other medical complications that she believed were because of the fall. And so she was suing Florida Power and Light because they had not provided uh, power, reliable power, during the storm, and she was blaming her injuries on them. And so the attorneys for the woman and the attorneys for Florida Power and Light were taking turns asking questions of the prospective jurors. And then the lead attorney for Florida Power and Light, FPNL, focused on me. He said, Pastor Raines, given your profession, is it possible that when you hear about this woman's suffering, that you will be sympathetic and will have a difficult time being objective. I said, I understand what you're asking, and I believe I could be objective. Well, he didn't like that answer at all. In fact, he said, oh, Pastor Rains, we need something much stronger than believe. We need confidence. We need certainty that you could be objective. And he went on and on and on. And then he started telling a story. He said, imagine I'm on an airplane and I go up to the cockpit and I ask the pilot, now are you going to be able to land this plane? I need the pilot to say something better than I believe I can. 
I want to hear certainty that the pilot knows how to land the airplane. And he went on more. Finally, he stopped and I said, I understand what you're asking me. And I will say that I am confident that I am able to be objective as a juror. But if I may, I think that the word believe must mean something different in my profession than yours. He laughed, the other attorneys laughed, my fellow prospective jurors laughed, the judge even laughed, and I was not chosen for the case. (laughs) Today we're talking about the word believe, which is not a weak word. It is a word of confidence and conviction, at least it is for us. As we were planning this stewardship series, we were talking about topics like relationships and community and togetherness and the ways that we are all connected by the Spirit in the Christian faith and in the church, that we need each other. One of the conversations we had was that that probably the, the most tragic impact of the pandemic beyond those who got sick and those who have died and lost people is just simply the way it separated us. That that it caused us to to not be with each other, to be fearful of each other, to be suspicious of those around us. Maybe they're infected and will get me sick. Maybe the upside to the pandemic is it's reminded us of just how much we need each other. And so throughout this season of stewardship, that's the underlying theme is the, the need for family and community in the church But we focused on these three words as the common values that undergird a community of faith. Believe, belong, and become. Believe, belong, and become. We have worship here every week, which is a statement of belief. We we believe in a God that's worthy of worship. When we gather, I read from the Christian scriptures. We don't typically read from other religions, sacred texts, not because we don't respect them. That's just not our story. We come here around our particular story about who God is and who God is calling us to be. We recite liturgy and creeds together. In fact, did you know that the word creed comes from the Latin words credo, which means I believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We're not saying, I think that might be true. We're taking a stand. This is what we believe. The music that we hear, that we sing, is expressing truth and belief in a more poetic way. Our architecture, our art communicates truth. And in particular, when we gather in this place, we're gathering as United Methodist Christians. Not as Roman Catholic Christians, not as Presbyterian Christians, not as Baptist Christians, not as Pentecostal Christians, not as Lutherans or Episcopalians or Orthodox. We're gathering as United Methodists. And there are particularities, there are nuances to the ways we believe and practice the Christian faith. 
Now, that doesn't mean we don't respect other members of the Christian family. Of course we do, and share much in common. In fact, many of the beliefs that we have are shared by most who call themselves Christian. In reality, we have more in common with Christians of every stripe than we often think that causes us to be so separate. Paul reminds us of that in Ephesians 4. He says, make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one Spirit, just as God called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. He's talking about the things, the beliefs, the truths that we share commonly that unite us. So some questions I'd like for us to wrestle with this morning as we consider what we commonly believe as United Methodist Christians in this place. How do our particular beliefs unite us without becoming exclusive to those who may believe things that are somewhat different? How do we affirm what we believe as truth without becoming overly doctrinal or dogmatic? How do we hold on to essential beliefs and yet remain open, always knowing there's more to know about God? How do we stay open to mystery without abandoning the essential belief that there is truth? Gandhi, who was not a Christian, he was a Hindu, but a great admirer of Jesus, said, it is necessary to reject untruth. It is as necessary to reject untruth as it is to accept truth. In essence, Gandhi is saying, some things are true and some things ain't. So how do we focus on what is true? How do we focus on truth that unites while still allowing for some degree of uncertainty, to allow for questioning, debate, disagreement, diversity of perspective? And how do we take a stand and reject things that aren't true without becoming closed-minded? How do we hold on to beliefs while still recognizing truth, even if it isn't a truth that comes with the United Methodist label on it? Perhaps you know the stories of Galileo and Copernicus, both devout followers of Jesus. In their day, the the church, the Roman Catholic Church, taught that the earth is unmovable and that all of the universe revolves around an unmovable earth. That was important in Catholic dogma because the Pope was the head of the Catholic Church who was the head of the earth. And so the Pope became the center of the universe. Not so much if the earth moves and if the earth is not uh, the center of the universe. The teachings of Galileo and Copernicus contradicted Scripture. The teachings of Galileo and Copernicus contradicted church dogma. And they were right. We do move. We aren't the center of the universe. And when something is true, it's true. Truth is truth. 
Richard Rohr writes, if something is spiritually true, it will also be true in the physical world. And all disciplines and all religions will somehow be looking at this one truth from different angles, goals, assumptions, and vocabulary. If we are really convinced that we have the big truth, then we should also be able to trust that others will see it from different angles. Or it is not the big truth. The founder of Methodism was a man named John Wesley. And as our movement was coming together, there were varieties of opinions about what it meant to be a Methodist. Wesley said, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without doubt, we may. Herein all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. One of the things I've always appreciated about Methodism is that we've always been a tradition of what's been called the middle way or the middle ground. We've managed to hold differing ideas in tension. We are both sacramental and evangelical in the best sense of the word. We believe in the authority of scripture and church tradition and value experience and reason. We are a tradition that saves souls, but also does good work. We read Scripture seriously without having to read it literally. We hold intention, the value of the informed, intellectual, theological mind, along with the warm, feeling heart of faith, along with the dutiful service to others who are in need. I can't tell you how many Methodist weddings I've performed through the years where both members of the couple, both individuals, came from other traditions and they couldn't find a home in either, and so they found a home in Methodism. Perhaps that's a story for many of you. Now let me say something that I want to be very clear about. Saying that United Methodism is a middle ground tradition does not mean that our middle grounded openness makes us vague or uncertain or wishy-washy about what we believe. Methodism is grounded in the great Christian traditions. We believe in a God who is the creator of all things. We believe in a God who is love. We believe in a God who is Trinity. We believe in a God who is for us and not against us. We believe God revealed himself to the world in the person of Jesus, who took on flesh, who lived a life that demonstrated the heart of God, who died a sacrificial death on the cross, who overcame death and opened the doors of eternity. We believe in God's presence through the Holy Spirit, in whom and through whom we live and move and and believe. We believe in the Bible as God's story of who God is and who we can be. We believe in a God of justice who cares for the least of these. We believe in grace for everyone. We believe in the sacraments that have the power to change lives. We believe in stewardship, caring for what God has given us. We believe that every single individual, look to your left, look to your right. There isn't a person in here that wasn't made in the image and likeness of God and bears sacred value and worth. We believe in God's kingdom here and still coming. And we believe in the power of love. Does that sound wishy-washy? to you? Does that sound vague? Does that sound unclear? I don't think so. 
And somehow the wisdom, the genius of Methodism is that we can hold on to these truths without becoming dogmatic. And let's be honest. We live in a time where even Methodists who share common beliefs aren't agreeing on everything. And if we polled everyone around the room this morning, we wouldn't all agree on everything. My book club is currently reading a book by Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, who wrote the book, Where God Happens, Discovering Christ and One Another. He, he in it is describing this idea of shared belief, and he uses the image of collectively gathering around and staring at a mystery. He says this, Our unity as Christians comes from looking together into a mystery and occasionally nudging one another and saying, look at that. The unity we enjoy is not primarily about institutional uniformity, saying the same words all the time. The unity is found in the common direction we are looking, but we must be willing to nudge one another and describe what we're seeing. Did you get the image? That we all are looking toward the source of truth, God, and as we see things, we share it. We nudge, hey, did you notice that? Hey, did you see that? God is here. God is at work. Uh, I'm an only child, and my family would take long car trips when I was a child. That meant I was in the back seat, bored, you know, calling up, are we there yet? How much longer? And my dad would always say, well, we're closer than the last time you asked. That was infuriating. (laughs) I said it to my children also. (laughs) And being alone in the back seat, you know, you got to find something to do. So I try to sleep or I try to amuse myself. And, And then we would pull into a new town, you know, either on the back road or on the interstate. And my dad would would lean over from the driver's seat and say, hey, hey, wake up, sit up, you're missing it, you're missing it. I have no idea what he thought I was missing, but he thought it was important. But what if that's our role for each other? Hey, God is here. Hey, have you noticed what God is doing at First Church? Wake up. Take a look. Look around. God is working. That's what it means to be a community that's united in shared belief. Or I mentioned earlier being called for jury duty. Imagine in a a trial, the, the witnesses that are brought because they were eyewitnesses of something that happened. Each one takes the stand, and and hopefully there's enough overlap between all of thy witnesses to say, okay, here's the facts. We know this happened, and yet it's in the differences between each testimony, the one person standing on this corner, the one person standing across the street, the one person who looked down from above, it's the differences that adds the nuance and the texture to the belief. Lately, I've been quoting a lot, a a British pastor by the name of Martin Camrow. He writes, the best any of us can manage is a partial insight from a particular viewpoint, an angle of entry, a slant on truth, simply one perspective among many. Now, he's not saying, as the world often does, that my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. What he's saying is that mystery and truth 
is too big for any of us to comprehend on our own. We need each other to nudge each other, to share. Here's how I see it. Here's how I've experienced it. Here's what I've heard. And together, collectively, as a community, our belief deepens. Now, let's be honest. Outside of a community of Christian believers, there isn't much of Christianity that makes very sense. A God we can't see, a heaven we can't see, a Holy Spirit we can't see, unconditional love, forgiveness, grace, compassion, humility, sacrifice, obedience, etc., etc. None of it makes a bit of sense unless you know our story, unless we watch each other live it out in a way that that is appealing, that makes sense to us. The world teaches us, take care of yourself. You're number one. Nobody matters but you. Look out for your needs, even if it means at someone else's expense. That's not what we think. That's not how we live. That's not what we believe. And we need each other. We need to remind each other of that. We need to show each other how that looks. We need to demonstrate it and practice it. We need each other to do it. C.S. Lewis writes, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And he's not talking about doctrine or dogma. He's talking about living it out, watching it lived out among others. Sarah Miles was a a journalist and an atheist, but she got involved in serving food to the poor through a church ministry that she actually started. And she writes this, faith for me didn't provide a set of easy answers or certainties. It raised more questions than I was ever comfortable with. Faith, for me, isn't an argument, a catechism, a philosophical proof. It is instead a lens, a way of experiencing life, and a willingness to act. That's the phrase that really stood out to me, that it's a willingness to act, putting our beliefs into action. Before Paul laid out all of the beliefs that we hold in common, he began in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you receive from God. That's an action word. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. More action. Accept each other with love. That's action. How we relate to one another. The bottom line The truths that we claim to believe are nothing more than opinions until we act. Did you hear that? If you believe it, but you don't act on it, it's just an opinion. And a lot of us are very opinionated, (laughs) including me. Put it to work. Show me what you believe through your action. Demonstrate what you believe through your lifestyle. Reveal what you believe through your priorities. The evidence isn't what we say what we believe. The evidence is doing it. How can I claim to believe that every person has sacred worth if I treat some people like dirt? 
How can I claim a, a forgiving God who's forgiven me of my many sins if I refuse to forgive others? How can I claim to love my enemy when I act so hatefully? And I should probably bring it back to stewardship since that's the season we're in. How does the way that I use my time, my treasure, my talents reflect my belief in who God is in my life? Does my giving to the church, through the church, exhibit my belief that God is good, that God is generous, that God provides, that God takes care of us, and that God honors sacrifice? What do you believe? I didn't ask your opinions. I've heard those. What do you believe? What do we believe and put into practice? How are we showing it to the world? Let us pray. So God, I pray that you deepen our unity around those truths that we can live by. And most importantly, Lord, may that truth lead to action. Lord, strengthen our sense of belonging to one another. May there not be a stranger in this room, but may we truly be friends and family. And Lord, give us hope, give us faith, give us trust that we are becoming the people you want us to be. We're becoming the church you want us to be. Help us to see as you see, to know as you know, to do as you call us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.